All right. Well, we began this series, uh, The Light That Leads Us Home, back in the uh, very first part of November on the first Sunday of Advent. And we've kind of continued it through the four Sundays of Advent on Christmas. And then the final installment of this uh, is today, the, the first Sunday of the new year. And um, so, as this title sort of suggests, you can have a great 2016. And I want to show you in what I'm going to say this morning that the way to do that is not by making resolutions, but by making plans. And not just any old plan, but a plan that's actually based on Scripture. Okay? So let's pray about that now. Father, I, uh, I lift this message and this topic up to you. Just pray for your guidance as it is delivered. I pray that your words would come out of my mouth and only that. Father, I pray that you would open the ears, both physical and, and those of the spirit, to hear, open eyes to see, and let you be glorified in, in everything. And so I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> well, <clears throat> with the clean slate of a new year before all of us, really, the thoughts of many people, and probably your own thoughts, drifted towards the idea of making some resolutions. Because that's what we do at New Year's, right? And Because we, we do this because we think it's really, you know, kind of step one in putting the old year behind us and kind of looking forward into a much better, hopefully much better, a much, or at least a, a somewhat improved new year. Maybe you had a great 2015, but it can always be better, right? And so we, so we sort of think that that's, that's how we should go about it. And so really a typical New Year's resolution is simply, <clears throat> it's a decision to do or not to do something in order to either accomplish a goal or to break a habit, bad habit. And as I said, it comes at this time when, you know, we look, at, look back at the past year and we think, well, you know, there were some things there that um, were not so good that I'd like to improve upon and, and so forth. And so, you know, we think, well, we've got this new year, calendar's clean. I recognize that that's not a 2016 calendar because New Year's Day wasn't on Monday, but all right. It was a graphic that did what I needed it to do. So, <laughs> um, However, as this little video that I'm going to show demonstrates, um, most of the time our resolutions don't work out so well.
think sometimes um, a New Year's resolution is something that goes in one year and out the other. Do <laughs> you like that? Um, according to John Norcross, a noted researcher on resolutions, 81% of New Year's resolutions fail. And this was even more interesting, 29% of them fail within the first two weeks. That's about a third, right? Two weeks in, we're done. Why? Why is that? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. <clears throat> One thing that researchers have learned is that resolutions fail when we set too many of them all at the same time. Um, it actually sets us up for failure, and I thought this was, was particularly interesting. Researchers have found that willpower is a limited resource that can be depleted. All right? And they did, this was the study they did. Some of the <coughs> participants in this study were tempted with these, these delicious cookies on the table, but they were instructed to eat a radish instead. Okay. So that was part of the group. When the whole group got together, <clears throat> some that had that challenge and others that didn't, and they, gave, they were all given this impossibly hard puzzle to solve. The ones that had to fend off that inner cookie monster um, gave up twice as early as the ones that did not have to fight temptation earlier before they attacked this puzzle. And so you've got a limited amount of willpower and you, you really need to kind of choose how you're going to, uh, to spend it. And if you have too many of these resolutions that you're trying to accomplish, it's going to be difficult. So the idea is less is more in this case. Um, resolutions also fail when they're kind of vague and they're very long term. Um, like go to the gym more often. Well, that's, what does that really even mean? You know, if you went, if you didn't go at all last year and you go once this year, that's more often, right? So, <clears throat> you know, they, uh, you, you, they need to be specific and much more short term. So, you know, like for one quarter or, you know, whatever month maybe. Um, however, in my humble opinion, I think a lot of resolutions fail because they're not plans. See, a resolution, definition of a resolution is this. It's a firm decision to do or not to do something. Okay? Now, contrast that with a plan. A plan is a detailed proposal for doing or achieving something. Notice the difference? And I think just based on the definition between these two words, you can see that your chances for success are far greater if you make a plan rather than just a resolution. But now what I want to do is let's apply God's word to this whole idea. Now, I found that the Bible talks very, very little about resolutions. In fact, I could only really find three or four occurrences of it. Um, Daniel, in the uh, ESV translation, Daniel resolves that he's not going to eat the king's food, okay, when he is captured and um, <clears throat> taken into captivity. <clears throat> Joseph, 
resolves not to divorce Mary when he finds out this whole thing is going on with the Holy Spirit. And uh, Paul, at one point in Acts, resolves um, to pass through Macedonia and not go to Rome. But that's pretty much it in terms of resolutions in, in Scripture. Now, <clears throat> on the other hand, the Bible talks a lot about plans. Um, I did some word searches, and I found that the words plan, plans, or planning occurs ten times more frequently than resolve, resolves, or resolution. Okay, So there is clearly this... Um, this huge difference between planning and resolving or making a resolution. In one of the books that talks the most specifically, I think, about plans and planning is the book of Proverbs. And uh, Proverbs is part of what we refer to as the wisdom literature in Scripture. So if you're interested in making some changes in this new year, it might be a good idea to kind of look at what guidance God's Word can provide you uh, so that you can be successful in whatever plans that you choose to make. And so point number one in this whole thing is to um, seek out wise counsel when you plan. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. Now as, as we grow up, most of us have at least one, and in many cases two, parents that really served that role for us. They were our advisors. You know, when we weren't sure about what to do, many times we would go and talk to our parents and say, okay, you know, I'm, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, now it doesn't happen quite as often as it used to, but Sally and I still have some of that role because Jarrett and Barbara will come and say, hey, you know, in, in, in this case it's, it's bigger decisions, right? Hey, I'm thinking about buying a house. I'm thinking about getting married. You know, it's it's larger scale things, uh, as opposed to the smaller ones that were more prevalent when they were growing up. Uh, but you know, they still will ask our advice and our opinion on things. But you know, eventually your parents aren't going to be around, and so you need to then start to think about well, you know, the, the parents may not be here, but my need for good counsel and some advisors has not gone away. You know, that wasn't just a, a youthful thing. We all need that. And so our, this verse really just kind of reminds us of that fact. It tells us that, you know, if we're going to make plans that ultimately are going to succeed, we've got to have advisors. Maybe there are parents if they're still around or Maybe it's some intimate friends, close friends, if our parents are not there to talk to. Well, why is that? I mean, why would that be important? Well, I think it's because, you know, whether you want to admit it or not, <laughs> we all have blind spots, right? And when we get into those blind spots, we don't consider the alternatives uh, or even maybe see that there are some other alternatives. Uh, you may have a blind spot because your personality is a certain way. You know, if people are just very, very positive, then they tend not to see any of the negatives that might be associated with a choice. I like, there's an ad, I think, for uh, retirement planning. And I don't know if they really did this or if it was just someone's idea, but they gave people, you know, different colored sticky notes. 
and they said, okay, I want you to write um, <clears throat> everything good that you think is going to happen in the new year and then everything bad. They did it for like the past and then they did it for the future. Same thing, good and bad. And what you noticed was that while, well, that there basically were far more negative things that people put for the past than they did in the future, right? They just are not, they don't think that way. Even though you could look at what history is showing you and see, well, you know, the good and the bad kind of were about even. Well, then you get over here into this new year where nothing is happening. And everyone is just really optimistic. You know, it's like 70-30 maybe in terms of good and bad. So <clears throat> that's a blind spot, wouldn't you say? You know, that idea that we're not considering everything. Um, it could be that you're just simply too vested in a particular project, plan, idea. And because of that, you're not seeing what some of the pitfalls could be or being able to plan accordingly to that. Um, maybe we're getting into a new venture and we just don't have the knowledge or the experience that it would require to make a decision like this. And I think the example I used earlier, buying a house, right? If you've never done that before, there's a whole lot of different things that are involved. And there's a lot of terms that you don't understand and there's a lot of forms to fill out that you don't understand. And, and you know, you're dealing with, you know, the real estate agent and the mortgage person. And so, I mean, it can be extremely confusing. And so that's where you need to talk to someone that can say, you know, like, what the, why are they asking for this? <laughs> you know, and so forth. And you can help them understand, well, it's because of this reason and so forth. So whatever the reason might be that you have these blind spots, we always make better plans when we involve other people. Throughout the whole book of Proverbs, it kind of contrasts the haughty, arrogant person against one who is humble, right? And when it, it comes to planning, <clears throat> an arrogant person has a great potential to plan based on their very own high opinion of themselves, right? And so they, they court failure in many cases because their plans tend to be very self-serving they may also tend to sort of deny reality. But a humble person realizes their own limitations or at least realizes they have some. If they don't necessarily know what they are, they know there are some there. And so because of that, they're much more willing to submit themselves and their plans to someone else as a way to mitigate their own ignorance or weakness or limitations that they might have. They get counsel from people who are not afraid to tell them the truth, even if it hurts a little bit. And I think we also need to make sure that our wise counsel comes from people who have a reputation for wisdom, or at least who have done the thing that you are planning to do. All right, so this, this is a really strange example, but it just what came to mind. So for example, if I was looking to lose weight, I wouldn't consult Mr. Bean. <laughs> now, just a hunch, but I don't think Mr. Bean has ever had a weight problem. You're just kind of looking at him. 
So, um, number one, he doesn't look particularly wise, I would say. But number two, you know, I don't know that he's going to have much insight into what it takes to lose weight, right? So you just, you wouldn't do that. So the plans that succeed are those that have been subjected to open, honest counsel of many advisors. So that's kind of point number one. <clears throat> point number two is to make your plans thoughtfully reasonable. Thoughtfully reasonable. And for that, we're basing that on Proverbs 21.5, <clears throat> which says the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. <clears throat> Being diligent is hard work. Jonathan Edwards was uh, an 18th century revivalist um, <clears throat> known for his probably his most famous sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Um, but anyway, at, when he was 17 years old, he sat down and he wrote out 21 rev resolutions by which he would live his life. Every year he added to this list until he had about 70 of these things at the time of his death. All right. At the very top of his list, he said, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions. Remember to read over these resolutions once a week. See, he didn't casually make these, you know, with an expectation of eventually breaking them. Right? How many of you, you know, make resolutions and really commit to the idea that you're going to keep them for the entire year? Or do you simply do it because everyone else is doing it, number one? And number two, well, you know you're not really bound to them. <laughs> and so, you know, if I could do this for a couple of months, man, I'd be ahead of the curve, right? Because 29% of the people bail out after two weeks. So if I could go for a month, I'm twice as good as, you know, those folks are. You know, we think all kinds of weird ways about things like this, and our, our propensity to rationalize stuff knows no bounds, <laughs> right? <clears throat> but, see, Jonathan Edwards didn't just do this with that sort of thought in mind, which to me says he's thinking about these much more like a plan than he is just simply a resolution. See, he built into this that every week he was going to do a self-check. <clears throat> he regularly summed up in his writings how he was doing. And he sought God's help in the process. And so, as I said, lots of us make these kinds of resolutions without anything close to this level of diligence in mind when we do it. You know, for many of us, it's just a kind of a, a, a nice, possibly encouraging list that if we were to happen to do these, it would result in, a, in, in us maybe feeling better, you know, having more success, money, whatever. But when we don't, when we do it without that kind of diligence, you really could say that, like the psalm says, that we are making them in haste because we're not really stopping to consider every possibility that could be there. 
you know, maybe we're not fully counting or considering the cost of what it's going to take, you know, to get to these, these places. And I think it can be applied in this proverb that the diligent is one who also plans creatively or who plans creatively, but who also plans within the framework of God's will. See, the hasty person just wants to get rich, gives no regard to the divine order of things. When we, we plan, we can't lose sight of the truth that the plans and the ways of God are much higher than our own plans and ways. And if our diligence does not also include that consideration, then like the hasty person in the proverb, our plans will ultimately come to poverty no matter how successful they may initially seem to be. And that kind of leads me right into the final point, which is this. Allow God to influence your plans. <clears throat> Allow God to influence your plans. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. See, one of the things this forces you to do is to really examine your motives. What are your motives? You know, it's sort of the thing about talking when people talk about fasting, what a good idea is, but what they really are, are saying is, gee, this would be a great way to lose some weight spiritually. I'll just call it a fast. And it sounds holy. But it's still just a diet. Unless you're taking that time that you really sh were going to spend eating and getting into your prayer closet and, and spending that time with God, you know. Otherwise, it is, you know, that fast is nothing but a diet. See, when a faithful person commits his or her work to the Lord, you get freed up from worrying about stuff. You're conceding that everything depends on God, not on yourself. And so when you do that, you don't really have anything to worry about or worry over. Contrast that with the person who doesn't do it that way, <clears throat> you know, who plans based on their own capabilities and their own you know, thoughts of how things should go. While they may seem extremely self-confident on the outside, chances are they're a bundle of nerves on the inside because, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. And so they're probably plagued with fear. See, when you go forward with a plan, understand that God is sovereign and you have limitations, not the other way around. And if you'll do that, you're able to live in prayer and peace. Now, um, my son and daughter-in-law got me a book for Christmas. And th this is one of several of these. It's called When God Winks at You. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or not. Um, but there was a story that I ran across that I thought fit perfectly with this whole idea of, of letting God influence your plans. So let me read it to you. It's just a couple of paragraphs. So many times the candidate had prayed for good health. But this, the doctor spoke solemnly. You've got prostate cancer. 
we need to treat it right away. I'm sorry, but I'm afraid you'll have to drop everything you're doing, including your run for the Senate. He stared at the doctor. This wasn't a joke. As outlandish as it seemed, the guy was dead serious. Why? Why me? Were the words screaming inside of him. Alone he prayed that the doctor was wrong or, if he wasn't, for a miraculous cure. He prayed for the wisdom to know what to do. In a matter of hours, newsrooms throughout the state received notice that the candidate had scheduled an important news conference. The media seemed stunned as the candidate looked into the camera and said, we don't always know why these things happen to us in life, but in the end, they seem to have a way of working out. That was in May of 2000. Sixteen months later, on September 11th, 2001, we all found out why. Why Rudolph Giuliani was still in the office of mayor of New York City. Think about it. If Giuliani had not had prostate cancer and had remained in the race for the Senate against Hillary Clinton, win or lose, he wouldn't have been mayor on 9-11. He would not have been the calming voice for a mourning and shocked nation. Why hadn't God answered Giuliani's prayers for a healing? Was this an unanswered prayer? Was the prostate cancer God's way of placing Giuliani on the path he wanted him on to fulfill his destiny for him? Giuliani, for one, believed so. My experience with cancer prepared me for what I had to do after 9-11, he said, to comfort families during those very difficult days. Now, I don't want to get into a discussion about did God give Rudy Giuliani prostate cancer. Those are things we cannot know. However, God can use anything. It doesn't matter what cards the Lord has dealt. He always has a winning hand. And so that's why it's so important that, you know, we can make a plan and we can think it's all that, but yet we've got to be flexible enough to know that if God chooses to intervene in the midst of that, it's okay. Because he's got something better in mind. Some, uh, something of his purpose in mind. And so, honestly, it's pretty simple. Plans and deeds performed in conjunction with a total commitment on the Lord will be established. In 1738, uh, literary giant Samuel Johnson, if you're familiar with, with Samuel Johnson, he has tons of quotes, that, some of which are extremely funny. Um, but he wrote this in his diary. Oh Lord, enable me to redeem the time which I have spent in sloth. We talked about sloth back in 1738. 19 years later, he wrote this. Oh mighty God, enable me to shake off sloth 
and redeem the time misspent in idleness and sin by diligent application of the days yet remaining. He wrote some variation of this prayer every year after that. (laughs) Finally, in 1775, 38 years after he first made this resolution, he wrote this. When I look back upon resolution of improvement and amendments which have year after year been made and broken, why do I yet try and resolve again? I try because reformation is necessary and despair is criminal. I think Johnson's really describing human life, right? You know, we start every year thinking, this is the year. This is my year. It's going to be the best year ever. And we really are, are truly sincere about, you know, turning over a new leaf, whatever change that we're talking about, we're going to make it this year. We promise ourselves we're going to quit all of the bad habits and only start new ones. New good habits. (laughs) Not new bad habits. (laughs) Although that's probably what happens most of the time. That's not the intent on January the 1st, right? We're going to get in shape. We're going to eat better. We're going to waste less time. We're going to be more content. We're going to be more disciplined and so forth. We're going to be better husbands, better wives, fathers, mothers. And then 12 months later, we look at that ledger, and we've come up short again. All of those things are worthy goals. And my point here today was not to talk you out of making a resolution to do any of those things. But I hope that after today, you'll see that there's a big difference, um, that really the one, one big difference between success and failure in any of these things is planning. It's a cliche, I know, but it's true. Failing to plan is planning to fail. And godly planning involves attaining wise counsel. It involves... Um, being diligent, and it, allow, and it also involves allowing God to influence your plans. And one final thought. And this was interesting because um, the word that Harry spoke lined up so much with, with this last part of the message. Amidst all of the human foibles that we've got, failures, inconsistencies, And there are many, I think, if we're honest with ourselves. There's one incontrovertible and unchanging truth, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news announcing Jesus' infallible devotion to us in spite of our inconsistent devotion to him. And so as this new year gets underway, take comfort in knowing that when we are weak, he is strong. That even as our love for Jesus falls short, Jesus' love for us never will. So as a, uh, as a prayer ministry focus today, I'd like to invite our, our, the, our prayer ministry team back up and also invite the worship team up as well. 
And if, if one of your thoughts for the new year, one of the things that you were resolving in your mind was that you wanted to really deepen your relationship with God in 2016, that you want to see his dreams revealed in your life in this coming year. I want you to, to get prayer for that. Come up and, and seek out one of these prayer ministers and, and get, get prayer for that. And, and let that be a jump start into how you know, this new year is, is, uh, is going to unfold for you. <clears throat> so could really use some prayer ministers right now. <laughs> I'm selling a product here and I don't, <coughs> the, the shelves are empty. <laughs> now I will add to that one way that you can, if that is something that you want to do, one way you can do that would be to come to Holy Spirit night. And that is something 12 times a year, first Sunday of the month, every month. And tonight is actually going to be uh, pretty cool and, and a little bit special because there's a young lady um, named Sarah, what's Sarah's last Tyler. name? Tyler. I'm sorry. It was, all I could think of was Turner. Sarah Tyler. <clears throat> Sarah is the daughter of um, one of the ladies that is, has been responsible for Spirit and Truth Ministries. Sarah is embarking upon what she hopes is going to be a career in pop music. And she went down to Texas and um, did some songs for uh, an extended play album. But all of the songs, what she's trying to do and what her mindset is, is she wants to be a Christian voice in a secular style of music. So in other words, that her songs are going to be about faith and things like that, but done in a style that is more picked up, I guess, by, um, by secular radio. And so she's going to be here tonight, and she's going to sing her songs, and she's going to talk about what the story is behind these songs. And uh, I, just have, I just really have a sense that God's Spirit is going to be here in a big... <clears throat> Excuse me, in a big way tonight. And so, <clears throat> five o'clock to seven o'clock, if you can be here, I uh, would really encourage it.